Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, November 12th, 2017, on the basis of Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. I'm guessing the first time you said it, it might have been at a very early age. It's an expression that we use to indicate that something is easy. In fact, more than easy. Beyond easy, so easy that we could still carry it out even with a significant disadvantage. And so we say, I could do that with my eyes closed. You remember ever saying that? You ever try to do it with something? Those of you who grew up in the late 80s and early 90s as I did and who were big Michael Jordan fans as I was might remember, as I do, the very first time you saw Michael Jordan shoot a free throw with his eyes closed. It was sort of his way of, of taunting and toying with his opponents, almost in effect saying, some of you struggle to even make these things consistently, but here it is so easy for me that I can even do it with my eyes closed. And he did it regularly, and he always made them. And yet out of all the things that you've maybe ever thought would be so easy that you could do them with your eyes closed and maybe even tried, I'm guessing one of them was not the thing that Jesus is telling us to do in the verses that are in front of us today. In these verses from Matthew's gospel, we're going to see that Jesus wants us to remember that the day is coming when he will come back. And when he does, the stakes could not possibly be higher because Jesus is coming back to judge. He is coming back to decide our eternities, and it is either heaven or hell. There are just two options, and there are no second chances. And so it's no surprise that Jesus tells us that he wants us to be ready. It's no surprise that Jesus tells us to keep watch. What is surprising is how he tells us to do it. As we continue this series entitled In Between today, we're going to once again see that there is this space this gap, this disconnect between appearance and reality. We're going to see that those who are constantly and vigilantly waiting for Jesus' return often don't look any different from those who are not. In fact, we're going to see that sometimes our daily routines and our weekly schedules maybe almost make it seem impossible that we could be at that very time constantly, vigilantly waiting and watching for Jesus' return. And yet, as odd as it sounds, as impossible as it sounds, that's exactly what Jesus is going to teach us today, that being ready for his return means to keep watch with your eyes closed. So this parable that Jesus tells that illustrates what it really means to keep watch, it's a parable that's all about a wedding. And in the parable, the focus is on the bridal party, the ten bridesmaids who are standing up in the wedding. Quick show of hands. How many of you have ever stood up in a wedding as either a bridesmaid or a groomsman or even a ring bearer or a flower girl? Okay, I kind of figured quite a few of you. And yet even if you have stood up in lots of weddings, I'm guessing that your responsibilities have never been what they were for these ten bridesmaids. Because weddings in Jesus' day were very different from weddings in our day. Here's kind of how it worked. On the day of the wedding, the groom 
would leave his house and he would go to the house of his bride where she was waiting for him. Then together, the two of them would walk hand in hand through the city streets, sort of as part of this grand procession, all the way from her house to his house. And then there at his house, at now their house, there would be this big grand celebration. That's where the wedding would take place. Now, as all of this was going on, it was the responsibility of the bridesmaids, first of all, to keep watch for the groom, to be on the lookout. Second of all, when he arrived, to go out and meet him and then sort of usher him back inside the house to where his bride was waiting for him. And then finally, as this grand procession took place through the city streets, these bridesmaids would light the way and just provide a certain amount of, of splendor to the festivities by holding these lamps that they had with them. In the story that Jesus tells, there are 10 of these bridesmaids. Now we are told right off the bat that five of them are wise, five of them are foolish. But if you were there, if you had been a part of that wedding, you would not have been able to tell the difference, at least not at first. Outwardly, they all looked the same. They all showed up on time. They all had their lamps with them outwardly they looked identical and ready to go in fact even when the groom took longer to arrive than expected notice how all 10 of them both the wise and the foolish ones all 10 of them fall asleep so what is jesus teaching us so far in this parable well jesus wants us to know that he is the groom who is one day going to leave his home in heaven come down here to earth where his bride is waiting. And on that day, he will take his bride, the church, back with him to heaven to enjoy an eternal celebration that has no rival. As members of the church, we are members of the wedding party. We are the bridesmaids. Sorry, men, that even includes you. We are supposed to keep watch. We are supposed to watch for the groom's return. But Jesus is also teaching us in this parable that as we wait and as we watch, it will neither be easy nor obvious. Jesus has not set a time and date for his return. Jesus has not made an appointment with us so that we can enter it into our smartphones and have reminders that the day is coming. When Jesus arrives, all of us will be sleeping in a sense. None of us will expect it. And so as we live our lives, those who are constantly waiting, watching for Jesus' return, will often look very similar in their daily routines, in their weekly schedules from those who are not. Both might watch some football this afternoon. Both might get up in the morning and go to work or go to school. Both might have errands to run and appointments to keep and activities to get the kids to on time. Both might be out in the woods next Saturday morning hoping that big trophy buck comes trotting by. Both, in the very near future, will be out buying Christmas presents or shopping on Amazon.com. As we wait and watch for Jesus' return, it doesn't mean that we take all of those activities that fill our lives and we just stop. In a certain sense, we look very much alike the others around us who may not be waiting and watching for Jesus' return. When Jesus comes back, all of us will have our eyes closed. All of us will be sleeping. None of us will expect it. And so in a lot of ways, our lives might outwardly seem very similar to everyone else around us. Now, we might be tempted to think 
that that means that keeping watch for Jesus is easy. We don't have to stop our day-to-day activities. We get to live life, so to speak. And yet this fact doesn't make keeping watch easier. It actually makes it more difficult. If Jesus were to just give us something that we had to do, some external thing, some motion that we had to go through, no matter how intense and extreme it would be, we would then have the advantage of knowing what it is, being able to do it, and then being done with it. Just show up at church every single week, no matter what. Just make sure that you pray for at least 30 minutes a day. Just make sure that you read your Bible cover to cover at least once a year. Just make sure that you take your adjusted gross income on your 1040, divide it by 10, and give that money to churches and charities. As difficult as some of those things might sound, if that was what Jesus said made us ready, that would be easy. Because we could do it, we could be done with it, we could check it off the list. No, keeping watch for Jesus is not some external thing. It's not something that we can just go through the motions and be done with. It's not something that we can just do once. It is something that is an ongoing, everyday sort of thing. It's something that's an internal, beneath-the-surface sort of thing, something that must be genuine and sincere. And so that's why Jesus compares keeping watch, being ready in this parable to oil. In every outward way, the ten bridesmaids look exactly alike. What made them different was not how they looked, it was not how they dressed, it was not their hair, it was not their makeup, it was not the size or the shape of the lamp that they were carrying. It was what was hidden inside of that lamp. It was what was hidden in that little jar, that little flask that the wise bridesmaids brought along with them. It was the oil. So what's the oil? Lots of guesses out there. Some say it's faith. Some say it's repentance. Some say it's the word of God that keeps us ready and waiting and watching. All good guesses, I suppose. And yet Jesus doesn't just come out and tell us what the oil is. And the result of that is that the focus for us is not so much on what the oil is, but rather why the five wise bridesmaids had it. And the answer to that question is also not in anything specific Jesus said in this parable, but it is in something that everyone listening to that parable would have very clearly understood. See, there's one more significant way in which weddings in Jesus' day were very different from weddings in our day. In our day at a wedding, a man and a woman stand up in front of their friends and their family, and they very publicly, very formally pledge their lives to one another. There's usually some sort of celebration that immediately follows that, and then on that very day, that man and woman begin living together as husband and wife, right? All of that happens as part of one event, almost always on one single day. Well, in Jesus' day, those things were divided into two important days. First, a man and woman would stand up in front of friends and family publicly, formally pledge their lives to one another, speak their wedding vows. They called that the betrothal. But after the betrothal, even though they were legally husband and wife, bride and groom actually separated. The husband, the groom, went back to his house to prepare it, to get it ready for his bride. Probably took weeks maybe in some cases even months. But then, and only then, when everything was ready, would this event that Jesus is talking about in this parable be scheduled. The groom would leave his house, 
go to his bride's house, walk with her from her house to his, and then that's where this big festive celebration would take place. Now, what that means is that in the context of this parable, we do not have a bride who, as the hours pass, is sitting there sweating and wondering, did he get cold feet? Is he really going to show up? Is this really going to happen? Or am I going to be left at the altar, so to speak? No, he has already made that promise. He has already spoken his vows. He has already invested time and effort and energy into preparing their home. It's going to happen. There's going to be a party. The only question is when. And so you've got a bride and you've got bridesmaids who want nothing more than to simply be a part of it, to get in to that celebration and to participate in it. And so that's why those five wise bridesmaids were willing to do whatever it took to make sure that they were ready, that they were prepared. Apparently being a part of that celebration and getting into it was not all that important. Did not mean all that much to the five foolish bridesmaids, which is why they weren't prepared, weren't ready. So keeping watch for the return of the groom does not mean that you simply stop everything that you're doing, crane your neck back, and keep your eyes focused on heaven, waiting for him to come down. It does mean that you take everything in your daily routine, everything in your weekly schedule, and you reorder it. You reorient it. Think of it in terms of the planet on which we live. Right now, planet Earth is flying through space at an amazing 67,000 miles per hour. Maybe sometimes it seems like life moves that fast, right? That life is that busy and that hectic. Well, being ready for Jesus' return doesn't mean that suddenly we just stop. We just put on the brakes. But it does mean that there is a sun. There is a central gravitational pull around which everything in our life revolves. Really, the only question is, what is it going to be? It is not a problem that our lives have things in them, like careers and classes, like hobbies and hunting, like friends and football. It is not a problem that our lives have those things. It is a problem when our lives orbit around those things. When those things are the source of our joy, when those things are the source of our satisfaction and our sense of worth, when those things are the immovable object around which everything else bends, when those things dictate the rest of our schedule, when those things dictate the rest of our budget. If that's the case, it's not as if one day we're going to wake up and say, you know what, I don't need this whole Jesus thing anymore. I don't think he's even coming back in the first place. But getting into the celebration, being a part of that joyous event, it just won't be as important to us. And the more time passes, the, more, the longer our lives last, the more Jesus waits before he comes back, the more likely it is that at some point we just run out of oil. But compare that to making your son, making the center of your life, Jesus promised to you. Just like in this parable, 
We are not sitting here waiting and wondering, is Jesus really going to come back? Is he really going to let me in or am I going to get stood up? No, that's already happened. Jesus stood here right on this piece of earth that we call, this piece of dirt that we call planet earth. And he publicly, formally declared, you are my bride. In fact, not only did he declare that, but he demonstrated just how important it was to him. In order to make that happen, Jesus had to pay the ultimate price, the ultimate wedding dowry, you might say, all so that you could be his bride. That has already taken place. Now we're just waiting for him to come back. So here's how this works. The person whose approval matters more than anyone else's has already declared to you, I want to spend every day of eternity with you. The one who rules over all things in the heavens and on earth has already declared your safety, your security is my responsibility. The one who from all eternity knows just how great heaven is, knows the joy and the satisfaction that is there, he has already opened the door to his home to you and wants nothing more than to carry you in his arms across its threshold. You make that the center of your life, the sun around which everything else orbits, and you will find a joy, you will find a satisfaction, you will find a worth that nothing else can possibly rival and that will never disappoint. As for everything else, again, don't stop doing it. But when we make Jesus' wedding vow to us, the very center of our lives, everything else will naturally fall into its proper place. In fact, it will probably happen without a whole lot of effort or attention on our part. Think again of, of planet Earth. Does planet Earth sort of need to consciously think to itself at every single moment, boy, I better keep bending my orbit around the sun, otherwise I'm just going to fly off into space and crash into Mars? No, that's really more dependent on the sun than it is on the earth, right? It's because of the strong and constant gravitational pull of the sun that keeps the earth in its orbit. And in the very same way, keep Jesus' wedding vow to you right at the very center of your life and everything else will fall into place. More than anything else, you will desire and long to be a part of that special celebration. And second to that, everything else will take a back seat. Second to that, everything else will find its proper place. And it will just happen naturally and automatically. Even easily. In fact, because of the strong, constant pull of Jesus' incredible promise, you might even say that you'll be able to keep watch with your eyes closed. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.